Yay. <laughs> what? Um, okay. Well, let's do this. Let's allow the attendees to raise hands if you want to come on for coaching. Because we can do that first. And if there's no takers, we can talk about why you and I at least are getting coached in 2022. Because that might be useful for other people to hear. Yeah. I love it. And you might be able to see hands go up better than me just because you're the host now. I'm not sure if I can, I probably can see that. I don't know, but we'll see what happens. Yep. No hands so far. Okay. Or you can do the chat as per usual. Okay. You want to start Jess or should I? Um, yeah, go ahead. You go ahead. Okay. Well, I think people know us. I'm Kelly. I'm a urologist. I... I was into my, I was into mindfulness and like John Kabat-Zinn, just my, my brief story in residency, because I was trying to figure out how to control people. Like no joke. This is my story. And, uh, turns out you can't control people was the, that was the summary of my research. Um, and I was like, Oh, the only person that I can actually control is me. And that was, so that's been like 15 plus years of like leading up to this point. And I truly got like trained in how to be a coach. I was thinking about this today. I'm like, you know, I'm having this meeting of coaches soon and we'll probably go around and talk about how we got here. And I got here because of sex, which is probably not how most people go through coach training, but I got into it because I wanted to figure out how to do the magic of making people realize that their brain is their biggest sex organ and what they think about sex and kind of the relationship they have with the whole idea of it is what actually drives their sex life. And I was like, brain's most important. I want to figure out how to do the magic. So got coach training because of that reason, but it's helped in all aspects of my life. Um, I think the biggest thing for me this year with coaching, had it not been for coaching, I would not have stopped drinking. Mm -hmm. And that was like, that's my, like, what did you do in 2021? I stopped drinking alcohol after having a very lovely relationship with it for 20 some years. Um, and my past self would have never, ever thought that that would be something I would want to do. Mm -hmm. and, and my husband, even to this day is like, you never had a problem with it. Like, I don't ever know why you did it. And I'm like, cause I kept thinking about alcohol all the time and I was sick of thinking about it and I didn't mm -hmm. want to think about it. Um, but had I not had the coaching tools in place to feel my feelings, feel my urges, the awareness of what's going on with that challenging all of my limiting beliefs that I had about alcohol, like things aren't going to be as fun. People aren't going to think I'm funny. People probably won't want to hang out with me. What will I do with my hands? Like that I can go through all that with like thought doubt. Had I not had those tools, I would have never given up alcohol. And now I'm seven months without having a drink. So that was my big, that was my big 2021 coaching and didn't see it coming. Didn't go into this. Didn't even go into the year thinking that that's what I wanted to do. I was just ready. So what's different about your life without it? I don't think about it anymore. I don't think about it. I don't crave it. I'm more present. I have more, I have way more time because when you start drinking alcohol, like you aren't very productive. Um, I get up in the morning on the weekends and work out now because I am hydrated and like well-rested. Mm -hmm. And again, I like, to me, it was like two glasses of wine was a lot for me on any given day. So it's not like I was downing bottles and like, you know, 
but the point is it still was such a dramatic change, even with just consuming that little amount of alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I'd say those are, those were the big changes for me. I mean, you know, you always say this, I wish I would have written it down or journaled or something beforehand so I could reflect back, which I never do those things. I never do that. But, um, yeah, now that I, I, it was just going to be a six month challenge. And when I hit six months, I was like, why would I stop now? Or uh, why would I restart drinking now? Cause I already did all the hard work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's my story. That's what coaching can do for me. Cool. What about you? What's your story? Um, okay. So I, I tell my story a little differently now cause I have a new perspective, but Um, I am somebody who grew up with a lot of anxiety. My, um, my world was defined by this sort of feeling that there was a charge in the air and any, at any moment there could be an explosion. It's that walking on eggshells type of feeling. So what I know now was that my behavior, which actually drove me into surgery was basically a defense mechanism. It was all, you know, achieve, 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 um, get out of here, get out of this town, get away from some people. Um, like it was an escape plan to go into surgery. And it also happens to be something that I love. So it was like, great. It was awesome. Right. So go into orthopedics and I actually did very well in my residency. I was the type of person, I'm a people pleaser. So I could, I can, and I'm like adept at understanding what people want. So I could easily morph to get people satisfied. And so I was always in good graces. I was, you know, like always had good reviews and, you know, was regarded as a, as one of the good ones and blah, blah, blah. So my residency was not characterized by like the toxicity that a lot of our people experience from misogyny in that way. I mean, there was misogyny, but I just was like participating in it. (laughs) It was working for you. It was working for me. So I just like used it. And, um, anyway, so then when I, became, so I was in the military, as you know, and then went to work at a university after I got out of the military. No, I did my fellowship first and I had a baby. So got married and had a baby and I had postpartum anxiety that was severe. This was a recent thread on SMG actually of uh, a surgeon there struggling with postpartum anxiety. It's a really thrilling thread to read because you can see how common and how many people are affected by this. Um, but as somebody who had kind of like been down the therapy road many times throughout my life, like I'd been in therapy at least five distinct times since third grade with a real psychologist, (laughs) I'd been on medication. I mean, I'd like done lots of different types of therapy. Um, I just didn't want to do that. And I was trying to get disability insurance. And just having postpartum anxiety gave me a rider for getting disability insurance. So I didn't want to go to any legitimate source. Like I say legitimate as if coaching isn't legitimate, but I didn't want to go to like a therapist because then you have to report that. 
right? So I was just like white knuckling, white knuckling, because I wanted disability insurance so bad. And, you know, it wasn't dangerous in my opinion. Like I would have gotten therapy if I, I wouldn't have, you know, not done it for that reason if I really, really needed it. But I'd been down that road and I just wasn't interested in doing that again. So then after um, fellowship was pretty rough with anxiety, then got to my job out of fellowship. Mind you, I'd already been in practice for a while and I was already board certified because I had four years before I did my fellowship. And in my first job, I just really struggled like badly. Um, I was fine clinically. It was like that, that typical, like nothing is wrong on the outside. Nobody could tell anything was wrong. I showed up every day. I took good care of patients. I did good surgery. I was a good teacher. Um, and then inside though, I was just a mess, like totally disconnected, numb, zombie-like. And then on nights and weekends, I would be just incapacitated with probably depression. I imagine, um, I'd had four miscarriages, two before my daughter and two after my daughter. Um, the final one happened in the operating room and it was just like, I just couldn't, like, I was just done. And so that was when, um, we started doing things to feel better, right? Like we moved, we moved out of that environment. Um, cause there was some stuff going on at the university. Um, there were some other things that were really heavy there, like the racism and the, um, just some cultural factors that I felt so, um, impotent. I just felt so like incapable of doing anything meaningful because these problems seemed too big. Racism was really at the top of that was really hard. Um, anyway, so then, so we moved and that was good, right? Changed the circumstance. Like there's nothing wrong with doing that. I did that and I started to feel better. And then I got into shape. I lost about 40 pounds. I prioritized my sleep. Um, you know, kind of did physical things and stuff like that. And it was getting better and better and better, but it just wasn't, I wasn't all the way there. And there was still this piece that I couldn't quite put together. Like I was feeling better physically, but I just still was like, meh, you know? So I learned about, um, coaching through Katrina Ubell, which is, I think a very common way for doctors to learn about it because I was on this like weight loss journey. So I learned about that through her, but I was like, well, I don't really want to listen to her. I want to listen to who she listened to <laughs> like overachiever that I am. So I, that's where I learned about the life coach school. And then of course thought it was just bogus, like thought I'm like, no, it's not this simple. Like the answer is not this simple. It's, this is stupid. And so, but I kept going back to it kind of like over and over again. And I'd listen to the podcast and then I joined scholars and I was like, okay, I think there's something to it. Kept going back, kept going back over about six months. And then one day it was like, oh, there it is. Like all of a sudden it was like Dorothy going from black and white to the technicolor. Like everything was just like, yes, this is it. And this is what I want to teach people. And I 
and this is going to be the thing that I think is going to help surgeons in particular, but there's more to it. Um, so I started doing it and it's great and I love it. And I love being a coach and I want to coach like all the time, but I thought there was still something missing when I'm like listening to our people, like listening to what people are going through and thinking about the tools I had learned, which were good, but I didn't know if it was the enough for our people, because what our people have experienced just in training. And then a lot of times, especially for women, what they've experienced out of training in training, out of training is basically trauma. It's chronic low level trauma. It's chronic stress. It's, it's like overt trauma sometimes. I mean, it can be pretty serious what people experience. And then that doesn't even count what people have experienced as a kid, you know, like what you've brought into it. Like I did, cause I come from a sort of somewhat of a traumatized childhood. And so that's the next step for me is like trying to put the pieces of my own history together to make it make sense so that I can learn how to try to teach it to other people and help other people learn how to put their puzzle together to make it make sense for them. And I think once you get that, the, there are, I've been thinking about this talk we were going to have today. And I've been thinking about the words that I think like really sum up what the possibilities are. And the first one is agency, like agency in your own life that I never felt like I had until very recently, even, even into coaching, I didn't even feel like I had agency until very recently. So agency is number one capacity, like this capacity to have a relationship with yourself, the capacity to expand your, um, your abilities. And I don't like resilience as much as a term, as I like, like the capacity to know yourself so deeply that, you know, you know, your edges, like, you know, yourself to the degree that you don't need to be resilient. Like resilient is, is good. I don't, I'm not trying to say it's not good or even necessary, but I feel like we put so much emphasis on like, Oh, get a coach. You'll become so resilient. I'm like, no, we're fucking resilient. We're surgeons for crying out loud. That's not the issue, right? The issue is not resilient. It's not how much we can tolerate because we can tolerate a lot. And to me, it's more of like the capacity, how much, what capacity do you have in your life for love, for, um, for adventure, for seeking out joy, for connection, all these things that we're just basically robbed of in our training. So agency capacity, and there was one more, now I forget what it was. Um, oh, I was thinking of like the, the fed like nourishing nourishment sort of fed thing, which I think these kind of all go together. Like so many of us judge ourselves when we do things for ourselves, like in a self-care plan, for example, like we have all these excuses why it's not a good idea to do that because it'll make us look selfish or, or whatever. We've got to take care of other people. There's no time for ourselves and all this. But the thing is, is that if you have a plant you have got to nourish your plant. The plant will die, right? So this type of nourishing, I'm thinking about like 
nourishing your mind, you nourish your body, you nourish your soul. It's like, it's like this aliveness that is possible because of the agency and all of it boils down to just liberation, right? Like liberation to live within your own set of rules that you made up, that nobody else made up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's powerful, Jess. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, I, I almost, I think you and I are so well matched because we just have such, I feel we come from such different views on it. Right. Like I always, I always feel like you're this very like well-polished expensive piece of wood. And I come in, like, I'm like this jagged glass that still needs to like get all this buffing because it's truthfully, I'm like, I'm the, I'm the surgeon. I'm like the other end of it. Like if, for anybody who does Enneagrams, I'm an eight, just as a nine. Um, because you know, the, how I grew up, it was like, it, again, it, it makes perfect sense of how I went into surgery and like, how I had to be tough, how I had to just keep putting up with stuff. And it's like, of course I went into surgery. I was completely comfortable with that. Right. Yeah. And then how, how I need to be tough so that people don't mow over me. And like what coaching has done is it's allowed me to see that it's allowed me to see like how my childhood made perfect sense that I became a surgeon. And it's allowed me to like be completely compassionate when that part of me comes up. Mm -hmm. I think there's so much self-loathing in anybody, in anybody, in anybody, but, but certainly surgeons aren't immune to that. This like self-loathing, uh, which I think is tied in with a sense of perfectionism of like, we have to be perfect. We can't make mistakes. And then you self-loathe when you're not perfect. Right. Mm -hmm. What coaching is really allowed is like, I think self-love is almost too woo-woo-y for people, but this yeah. self-knowledge, self I like that better of like, knowing who you are, knowing what you need, knowing what your, for lack of a better word, triggers are and kind of loving and almost like a humorous of like, Oh, there I go again, doing the thing I'm super good at. Like, all right, what did I learn this time? And almost like just the awareness of it all. Yeah. just allows for such a more, I'd say expansive existence than like yeah. beating yourself up all the time over the same behaviors and not knowing why. That's right. I love that. And you're right. It's that's all, that's the capacity part, right? It's like you, I, I don't want to say you, cause I can only think about myself. I have like body image issues. So I'll use that as a, um, as a quick example. So I grew up, um, like I said, with all that anxiety and in high school, I had, like mild, mild disordered eating. Like I aspired to have disordered eating, but I didn't quite get there. Like I was, I had like a B minus. <laughs> it's like B minus disordered eating. You were perfect enough at that. I wasn't perfect enough at my disordered eating, but anyway, um, and in adulthood, what has, it's manifested as like health plans. Like I'll jump on X, Y, or Z, new thing because it's just another way to exercise control in some way that feels good for a minute and then doesn't. Um, but really what I noticed, like you said, the awareness part was this 
dialogue that I had with myself and it was so mean and I didn't really have the conscious awareness of the mean dialogue until I turned my attention to it. And when I turned my attention to it, it would make you cry. Some of the stuff I would say to myself and I still, I still do it because guess what? Like just because I, you know, have gotten coaching doesn't mean that that goes away. Right. Like the volume can kind of go down on it. And then I also learn how to be really accepting of that part of me. So instead of trying to like stop talking bad to myself, when I do it, I talk to myself like I'm a child and I'm like, you know, this is totally normal that you're doing this. Like, I literally have a conversation with myself. I'm like, it's okay. You're allowed to say these things. It's not that big of a deal. You can just take a minute. Like I, like that's literally what I do now. So um, I forgot why I started saying this though. You said awareness. Self-knowing. Oh, and you talked about how self-love is woo. And I'm like, yeah, it kind of is. And everybody's talking about it all the time. And, you know, it kind of gets gross when you hear about it so much. So I agree with you. And like that knowing is, is probably the same thing as self-love, but it sounds better. And also I think just the, it's almost like staking a claim to your space in the world. It's like understanding that as a being, as a flesh bag with a soul and a brain, like as this being on the earth that you are worthy of the space that you take up, period, irrespective of your internal dialogue, irrespective of anything. Like, and I think that knowing that and like believing that is kind of like what I am going for. People can call it whatever they want, but it's just like, and like protecting that. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I think one thing I've noticed is my ability to love others, you know, like loving the people that are quote unquote easy to love. That's easy, mm-hmm. but loving. Right. L- yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, your kids when they're cute, mm-hmm. but like loving the quote-unquote unlovable or loving the people that are who think different from you like to be able to practice that came from a sense of loving the again quote-unquote ugly parts about myself Mm -hmm. right like if I get to just have awesome self-love no matter when I mess up I get to do that for other people too yeah and I, I and from that practice I've noticed how especially now in society if somebody doesn't think exactly like you it's okay to not love them. And that's, that's all over our society right now. Mm-hmm. And I think it's incredibly damaging that we're like siloing who's acceptable to, you know, love. And that's been incredible. We're coming again from coaching of the idea, like you can totally fuck up and you're still completely worthy of taking up space, trying again, having your own back. Cause we're not perfect. We have to like break down that perfectionism thing that got pounded into us. Mm -hmm. I agree. What do you think? Why either, either give me your opinion on, um, myths that people have about coaching or why do you think people don't get coaching? 
Um, well, I guess, you know, maybe some people don't know about it. I, although that's probably not many since it's pretty popular right now. Um, I think some people are afraid, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy work. It's, um, sometimes pretty painful and triggering and, um, like just what we know about neurobiology, it's way easier to just be comfortable in something that's uncomfortable, like life, you know, and also people think it'll be too hard. Like, even if they would want to do it, they'll think, oh, this will be too hard and just quit ahead of time, mm -hmm. which is pretty typical and normal. You know, it's all neurobiology. Um, I think there are skeptics as well, or people who maybe think there's a little bit of snake oil, which I totally understand because it's totally unregulated. So as somebody who recently just completed my, um, uh, recertification, my, my board certification. I mean, I love the idea that I'm board certified. Like I feel like it legitimizes my specialty. I feel like it gives us some measure of, you know, a standard and in coaching, there isn't one. So I can totally see how people would be like, yeah, no, I think this is dangerous even, and that may be, but there are also dangerous doctors. So I think, you know, it's just fear. I imagine, um, and comfort. Yeah. I think, I think a part of like, it's outside the system still, I mean, there's more and more hospitals that are bringing coaching in, but it's like, if we didn't get trained this about coaching and residency, that it's not legit. Right. <laughs> Which is super funny because I, I'm a pelvic surgeon and didn't fully understand the anatomy of the clitoris until I was out of residency. And I'm like, if that's what the clitoris actually looked like, I would have been taught that in a surgical residency. And I wasn't. Yeah. And so, which kind of made me like, what else didn't I learn in residency? Right. That like, I really should have. Yeah. Um, I would say coaching. Coaching. Like, residency. Oh my gosh. So yeah. awesome. I think the other thing is um, I see a lot is people's inability to spend any money on themselves. I see that. I mean, I'm there. I kind of get a little bit um, frugal from time to time and, or I shouldn't even say that because um, like I, you know, spent uncontrollably. I mean, I don't know. That might be a little bit of an exaggeration. I had a credit card that I, um, definitely used when I was a resident. So I had no problems like going for dinner and buying shoes and doing X, Y, and Z just to feel better. Cause that's all it was, mm -hmm. was spending for a little dopamine hit, which I did a lot. And I got out and had a pretty sizable amount of credit card debt. Now, thankfully I didn't have, um, school debt because I was in the military. But, um, when I paid that credit card debt off, I was like, you know, thought I had finally, arrived because I paid that off. And really, I don't know, what do I have to show for it? A bunch of junk, a bunch of shit, basically. Anyway, to your point about money, I think that this is kind of a tricky issue for people because, you know, for whatever reason, 
And a lot of it's really expensive. And I have my own thoughts about that. And I, you know, I don't know if you want me to say all of my thoughts about that, but I don't think it needs to cost as much as it does in yeah. many circumstances. <laughs> well, I think, I think, I think once people start exploring what it costs, they realize room one is a screaming deal and sorry for people who I mean, room one's very um, curated. Only certain people are allowed in room one. Mm-hmm. Right. But for, for those people that are allowed in just, it's a screaming deal. Yeah. Um, I paid $10,000 for a four month package last year. Uh, So I'm not saying that to like, I'm just saying that it can be pretty costly and I don't know that it really needs to be, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, this might need to be like a little bit more of a nuanced conversation that I'm physically incapable of right now, but it's like, uh, there are a lot of different ways. And there's ways that you can coach yourself to be quite honest with you. There's ways to do it for free. It's just a matter of will you, and then how quick do you want to see results in your life? So that's what I want to offer to people that you actually don't have to spend a dime. You can do it all for free. It's just takes more effort. Yeah. And you don't have that kind of accountability partner or somebody to like actually start, you know, we were talking about that earlier is like the ability to see your own blind spots. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think another reason why people don't do coaching is kind of this, whether this is a surgeon thing or is like the idea of like, I should be able to do it on my own. Like, Mm -hmm. like if it was possible, I would have already done it. My life would already have been better kind of almost like this rugged individualism right? Yeah. Um, And I just, I think there is something in community. I mean, we know this, right? From the the trauma data is like the anecdote to trauma is community. It's it's being heard. Connection. Um, Yep. Mm -hmm. Connection. And people being like, I love you no matter what. Like, yeah, I'm going to hold space for you when you have a horrific surgical complication. Mm -hmm. And I I hope you do the same for me. Like there's something so incredibly powerful in that. Yeah. The non-judgment for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we can't hold our own space, right? Because, because of that, you know, lack of kindness and can't see your own blind spots. So to have somebody be able to do that for you is incredibly powerful. Yeah. Well, you know, they teach us this term, like don't jump in the pool, right? Like stay out of the pool. But I've been thinking a lot about that lately. Maybe I'm like a little bit bristling against LCS. I'm just going to put that out there. But so I've been thinking about, um, the way I understood, like, don't get in the pool is because if your client is in the pool and is drowning, you want to be on, on the shore or on the side of the pool so that you can offer them their life vest or whatever. But also I think what I'm learning now recently is that sometimes it's actually good to get in the pool because you don't have them pull you down. That's not what it means. It means that you can be there and you can tread water and let them rest on you for a minute. And I just like that metaphor a little bit better. Like, and that's where like having the sort of the camaraderie of surgeons only, you know, like we know, like, I know what I'm not a urologist, obviously, but I know what your experience was like and is like, like, I know, cause I'm a woman 
I, you know, I just know, and you know what my experience has been like. And so then when you feel like you're sinking and all you need is like a moment to rest and breathe, then you can just rest on your coach because that person isn't any better than you. It's not like a therapist. It's not like somebody talking down, like directing that, you know, they say that like a doctor patient relationship is asymmetric because the doctor has the power. Well, this isn't like that. It's a different dynamic. That's at the same level. Yep. I like, I, the other thing, you know, I was, I was coaching somebody and we were talking about a feeling of sadness mm-hmm. and it kind of brought up the difference between like a friend versus a coach mm-hmm. is like the friend's going to just really try hard to make you not sad. Right. Yeah. They just want you to feel better. So whether that's a friend or a mom or a spouse or something, it's like, don't want you to feel sad. Let's try to get you to not feel sad. Whereas the coach is like, let's feel sad. Yeah. It's a legitimate feeling. It's actually completely appropriate in the scenario. And being yeah. able to be okay with that actually is how we work through the sadness to then not carry the sadness with us because we never resolved it. Yeah. That's a very important distinction between like, why can't you just do this with a friend? you know, mom, whatever, sister. Right. How is that coach different? Is the coach isn't there just to make you feel better? No. And in fact, it's important to kind of, that's where the space needs to be because the coach doesn't have an agenda or shouldn't anyway about how the client feels. The coach is just there trying to offer a little bit of illumination, right? Like, or like that's that space to rest and just be where they are. I think what is true, what you just said, like a friend wants you to feel better. So you like, you know, go out and you get drinks or you go out and you shop or you go out or you watch Netflix and eat ice cream. I don't know. Um, or the friend goes down the hole with you, but neither of those are going to help you process the feeling all the way through and like have that energy be resolved. I'm reading this book right now, of course, it's a trauma book. It's so fascinating. And I was reading last night about how we get these feelings or sensations or emotions or whatever you want to call it in your body. And it's like undischarged energy. And when that undischarged energy stays there, it actually becomes like a, like a toxic, sort of situation. And then there's the feedback loop and stuff that I was telling you about earlier. I'm like, oh my gosh, no wonder it's so important to process an emotion all the way through so that you don't have that undis that unresolved discharge, like hanging out mm-hmm. in your body. Yeah. Cause it's going to, it's going to come out. Yeah. In an outburst in binging something. Yeah. Or in an unhealthy body. Yeah. Um, there's chronic, chronic stress. Mm-hmm. Yep. Chronic stress, pain, illness. Right. It's fascinating. So for somebody who's like on the fence of like, eh, 2022 is coming up classic new year's resolution. Like what, what thoughts would you want to give them about giving coaching? I, I think that, you know, it's so interesting. I'm answering my own question, but it's like, just try it. Right. 
so I, I see this all the time. Like, should I, shouldn't I, shouldn't I, shouldn't I? It's like, just try it. Mm-hmm. See what it's about. Yeah. I mean, like I said in the beginning here, I thought it was a load of crap for six months. So if I didn't try it like over and over and over again, I wouldn't have finally kind of figured it out. And I think my other thoughts, yeah, like you don't have to be at the bottom of the barrel hurting to get coached and to have it be useful. Like you can be like pretty darn good functioning and be like, what else is there? Cause I think, yeah, exactly. I think that's common is like, you know, I hear a lot of female surgeons, like, I just feel like there's something more. I just feel like there's something else in my life. And I don't know what it is. It's like coaching can help kind of crack that open too. Like you're already high functioning and it helps you get to the next level. Yeah. Cause sometimes getting to that next level, you, you can't do it on your own. Yeah. It's like aliveness, right? So many of us think that our aliveness is tied to being a surgeon because that's what my identity was. But I've recognized now that my aliveness has so many more really interesting um, parts. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm a pretty dang high functioning person. I know I talked a lot about like, a lot of dysfunction up to this point, but you're right. It's like, well, now, I mean, I'm in pretty darn good shape. And so I don't want to stop. In fact, I'm, I'm researching the next person to hire because I want to keep going. Cause now I'm like, now what can I really do? Yeah. You know, like, oh, so it's okay if I just close any chapter of any book and I can just make a new one, like start a new chapter. Like that's allowed. Yeah. Super powerful. Mm-hmm. I love it. Awesome. Any other like thoughts or questions you, you wanted to bring up? Um, let's see. Well, starting, obviously I just want to like make our little announcement about changing platforms. Oh yeah. yeah. Changing platforms. Hopefully it's going to make the whole experience a lot smoother and, uh, easier to navigate and all of that stuff, but it'll be a little bit clunky. I'm sure until it's all set. Um, and then we're going to be offering our one-year program. And then that's 980 per month. I mean, oh shit, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? No, 980 per year. <laughs> we raised the price by a several thousand percentage. Several thousand percent. No, um, that's per year, per year. I mean, I think... Uh, that's a bargain, but, um, residents, like I want to 2022 to be the year of the resident. So we'll offer a deep discount, 40% off, which is 588 per year for residents. So tell all of your residents. Um, then the other thing that I wanted to mention was some of the things we're going to shift in kind of I keep using the guardrail metaphor of having like a little bit of like a loose curriculum for people to be able to have like a tangible syllabus, if you will. Is that the right word? Like a tangible thing to use in your everyday practice. We were calling it cheat sheets because we didn't want anybody to feel overwhelmed by worksheets. Yes. I wanted to call it the pocket, the pocket guide, because did you ever use like the Tarascon pocket? urology or Tara, it was like the Tarascon pocket orthopedics. I love mine. I still have them. 
I have this like amazing connection to my Tarascon books, but like, I was thinking like a pocket guide, right? Like a little something small, something like not onerous, just to kind of help sort of gently keep this uh, trajectory. Like once you set you, I mean, we don't have to like tell people what trajectory to be on, but once they set their trajectory, it'll help kind of stay on that trajectory. And then um, there was one other thing. I don't know. Well, I don't want to. Yeah. I'm like, we're looking into CME. That's it. That's it. <laughs> That's it. That looking is into it. CME. That, Without that, raising the price. That seems promising. The, the hope for, I think there is hope for CME. Without raising the price for people who don't want CME. Right. Yeah. Do That's right. I can't even remember. It's been so long since I've been a resident. Do residents need CME? I don't know. Or is that only once you're out? Somebody in academics help me out. I don't know. <laughs> Do residents care about CME? Asking for a friend. Yeah. Anyways, for those not interested, we won't raise the price. That's right. Awesome. Cool. Well, we'll get this loaded up on the podcast and we'll put on the private podcast for our room one current members. And thanks for talking to me about coaching. Thank you. I wonder if we could send out an email and put, put this on an email for people. Sure. We can do whatever we want. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, we'll figure it out. And then we're going to do it this talk again on the 27th, hopefully with some one-on-one group coaching in it at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, December 27th. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Super duper. All right. Happy resident. Oh. Don't need to see me. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. Things you forget after a couple of years. Mm-hmm. But yeah, keeping the price down is one of Jess and my's top priorities. And CME price goes up because of the like background work that has to go into that and the regulatory bodies you have to pay. So we're we're working on solving that problem. Yes. Outlook is good. I'll shake the mega gate ball. (laughs) Outlook is good. All right. Hey. Okay. Bye. I love you. Love you. Bye-bye.